Welcome to Tales of Moxie. I'm Desiree. And I'm Jenna Lee, and we're your hosts each week. Each week, we interview women to hear their stories, and we address topics that don't usually get talked about so openly. Be ready for honest and raw conversations about all the things we're struggling with as real women. Welcome to Tales of Moxie, episode four. I am so excited because today I get to introduce you guys to Paige Riddell. This episode is one of my favorites because it hits so home to me. I have experienced these things and I know that there's lots of women who have too. So today we talk about pregnancy, we talk about loss, we talk about miscarriage, we talk about all the things that are hard and seem impossible, and even the NICU. And she shares her heart so openly and so honestly, and it's beautiful. And I hope that you guys see the father's heart through this episode because I know that when I walked away I just felt so much closer to Jesus just from talking to Paige so I hope that you guys enjoy. Hi Paige welcome to the podcast we're really excited to have you on we know I know that you have quite a story I've been kind of following your story um, with pregnancies from the beginning and since I had a son in the NICU I really really was inspired by your story and your path and it really hit home for me because I didn't really know anyone else that had been through something like that so it it was important to me and it meant a lot to me to hear your story and see your story through social media and things like that Um, so if you don't mind just briefly telling us a little bit about you and then wherever you want to jump in in your story that would be great yeah hi I'm happy to share and I'm so glad that you girls are both doing this and um, because the NICU and miscarriage are very, um, um, people don't share a lot about it because it's not a world that everyone has to be a part of. And when you have to be a part of it, um, it, you do feel very alone. And, um, so I'm very happy to share. And so I'm Paige, um, I'm 29. I have a three-year-old named AJ and I'm currently seven months pregnant with another little boy named Eli. Uh, my husband Andrew and I got married in 2011. We were 21 and 22. A year later, we decided that we'd start trying for a family because that's what you do when you're married. And we were young, and honestly, I didn't really have many expectations of pregnancy. I thought you got married, you got pregnant, you had a family, and off you went. And so we tried and got pregnant and we miscarried at I think about eight weeks Mm. and after that everything changed um it definitely felt like the whole world as I had known it was ripped out from under me it was very dark um and I just didn't really know what to expect and or know how to handle it And so I handled it by trying again. You know, we thought, okay, this is one time thing. People told me, oh, it happened to me, you know, but, you know, then never happened again. And, um, you know, I heard that from doctors and people at church. And so we tried again, got pregnant again about four or five months later, um, miscarried again, um, tried again, got pregnant about four or five months later, miscarried again. And it was definitely between the second and third miscarriages where I, I just, I was asking God why I was very, very upset. I, um, Andrew definitely remembers it as probably the darkest time in our life or marriage because I just, I never walked away from my faith, but I turned away from it. And, um, that's a very dark place to be. I thought, you know, you go through the whole the whole process of thinking something's wrong with you. Will you ever have a baby? And in the meantime, we were having friends not only have their first baby, have their second baby. And so it was it was hard and it was hard to have joy for other people, joy for anything. Um and so we decided to finally see a doctor just to get just to have some questions answered because after three miscarriages they recommend that you see like a specialist um and we did find out that I had like some uh, blood clotting disorder and um so he said just try again which took a while it was a big leap of faith for me because I'm like I keep trying you know I didn't know what another loss would do to me 
um, or to our marriage. And so we tried again. And that was AJ. So AJ was number four. He was our fourth mm-hmm. baby. Um, very difficult pregnancy. I started bleeding at five weeks and bled until all of my water broke at 28 weeks. Um, Wait, you uh, said, I'm sorry, you started bleeding at how many weeks? Five weeks. Okay. Wow. So we thought it was another miscarriage. Yeah. Um, and at our 20 week scan with AJ, I felt very, I was so happy. We had made it to 20 weeks. I had never gotten to do the 20 week scan and find out if it's boy or girl or so I thought, I've arrived, and I walked into that ultrasound um, place just feeling like floating. I was floating on a cloud, and the first question that they asked us at the ultrasound was, did you get, did you do genetic testing? And I said, no, we didn't. She goes, well, we have a lot to talk about. And at that appointment, they told us that AJ wasn't compatible with life that he had a genetic disorder, that he would either die in utero or die shortly after birth. And so they recommended termination, and we said, absolutely not. We have been waiting for this baby Mm -hmm. for so long, even if we only get to have him for two hours or two days or, you know, we didn't care. We just wanted to meet him, and so it was there that we named him after my husband um, because we thought if he did survive that he would be have special needs, and we didn't want him to think he was any different. Mm-hmm. So then went up to Stanford. They ran a bunch of tests. They were kind of on the fence about what was wrong. They said, you know, you'll just have to have him and see what happens. And then at 28 weeks, my water broke, and then he was born six days later. So he's considered a 29-weeker. Wow. He was the size of a 26-weeker. He was two pounds, five ounces, wow. 14 inches long. Um, and then that started our whole other part of our, our parenting journey, which was the NICU, which I never even knew about. Didn't even know really what a NICU was, what happened in there. I knew sick babies went there. Um, and yeah, that was just a very, um, shocking part of the journey we can maybe delve into that more a little later but um so then he was in the NICU for 70 days um he was born April 10th we brought him home June 17th and when we brought him home he was five pounds 14 ounces so he was still very little and now he oh and if anyone's wondering AJ is 100% completely healthy normal no genetic disorder. Um, I, you know, if God worked a miracle in utero or if what the doctor saw was wrong or, you know, it's just, he, we call him our miracle child. We also call him our $2 million baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and he's 100% healthy. I mean, having a micro preemie, it does come with other just things growing up, you know, learning, learning challenges and other things that they face as little, little guys, but, um, he's wonderful and smart and big and, um, as healthy as can be. And now here I am 28 weeks pregnant again with little Eli. So how old is is AJ now? AJ is three. Oh yeah. Have you guys, when you tried for the second one, did you guys have any miscarriages or struggles within that? We did, yeah. So we decided to try again when AJ was t- um, shortly after his second birthday. Got pregnant on our our first try, you know, and um, we just felt so blessed. We were like, "Wow!" After everything we've been through, this is such this is such a gift, and um, we couldn't believe how quote unquote easy it was the second time. And you know, and people had told us that, oh, you know, once you have one baby. Your, your body will figure it out. And so we're like, oh, all those people were right. Um, and then at nine weeks, the morning of my, um, I was nine weeks pregnant, and the morning of my 28th birthday, so almost exactly a year ago, um, I had an ectopic pregnancy rupture. So the, ba- it was, the baby was in my fallopian tube, and we didn't know. And it grew big enough that it ruptured it. And so um, we were in the hospital, and 
the doctor who did the surgery completely saved my life and gave me a chance at trying again, um, which we weren't too sure after a rupture. It's not always certain if you get to try again, if you recover from it fully. Um, and then six months after that is when we got pregnant with Eli. Wow. So when you guys were struggling through all of those miscarriages at the beginning, um, did they, before they sent you to the specialist, what were they telling you? Like, were, was it continue to keep trying or just they weren't sure what was happening? Like, what, what were their thoughts at that time of thinking this is happening so many times, you know, and I'm going to keep trying, but, you know, what are the thoughts through that? The thoughts were definitely the my OB at the time definitely was of the mindset of this happens. It's very common. It's not spoken about, so maybe that's why it doesn't feel as common as it is because it is. It is common. Um, what's not common is to have as many as I did in a row. I would I would strongly urge women if you've had two in a row to seek, um, but um, further testing just to maybe save yourself some some sadness and um but yeah they I we were just told to keep trying um that it's common that it's your body's natural way of you know just doing what it's supposed to do and since we were so young and um I didn't really I didn't really have a whole lot of knowledge about how fertility worked and now I feel like sometimes I have too much but um I'm grateful now, now that I'm on the other side of it, um, I've been able to share with so many women um, and encourage so many women, um, help women find the doctor that they need to find, you know, because I've seen so many doctors in the area and I can see already God's redeeming work through that. And um, once I got past that really dark time between the second and third miscarriage, I could see the goodness in amongst the brokenness and but it wasn't that sounds like it was easier than it actually was it was very very hard and yeah how long were you guys married before you got pregnant with AJ so we were married in 2011 and we got pregnant with AJ in 2014 so all of my miscarriages and then up until being pregnant with AJ it was 2012 of when we first got pregnant and then AJ I got pregnant in 2014 and he was born in 2015 so it was about two two years of that time of just trying and miscarrying and all of that how was that in such a new marriage I mean marriage is hard anyway I can't imagine that as well it was in one in some ways the night our naivety, we were so naive, we were so young, and we were so full of hope, you know, when you first get married, and you're young, and um, kind of played to our advantage, honestly, but then it definitely, I clearly remember a time right around the second miscarriage where it just thrust me into this place of complete refinement, and I remember it was, I remember it as clear as day, um, this image, I, I, I always see things like in images and, and it was just complete darkness. And, um, but I felt, you know, I felt Jesus near and I felt him saying, you need to, you need to choose me. I am the way I am the light. And no matter the circumstance, you will always find joy. You know, if you, if you choose to walk with me, it'll be hard, but you'll be refined. And, um, I just was like, just sticking in my heels of like my self pity and my, why me? And it's sad. It's really sad because anyone who's been pregnant or has hoped to be pregnant. I mean, the minute you find out you're pregnant, you are full of hopes and dreams and you can't, you can't get rid of those. And sorry. Um, and you just connect with your baby. It's a mother's love. And I just thought that I'd be, it sounds very dark and it was, but I, I felt like I'd be better off if I could just be with the babies that I lost rather than be here and have to live without them. Um, 
but we had we were surrounded by an amazing church family we've gone to the same church our whole marriage and Andrew's actually been at that church his whole life and so we were surrounded by amazing believers who when I couldn't believe and I couldn't walk with the Lord they did it for me and they held me up and um it once I made the choice to surrender and walk more closely with the Lord it it changed everything you know it's still I'm sad and we cry and we talk about the babies we've lost and we tell AJ about his older siblings and where they're at but um we do it we can talk about it with hope now um and you just you give God that space to redeem the brokenness that way and it, it's amazing the amount of women I've been able to connect with their families in general um over miscarriage and preemie life mm-hmm. um. It's so true. I mean, for myself anyway, I haven't heard much talk about this out there. I didn't know. And um, when I experienced my miscarriage, I didn't know who to even talk to. Honestly, I didn't know one person that I felt like that I talked to in my daily life that I thought they'll understand what I'm experiencing. I just, I just didn't. And then when we had Weston and he was in the NICU, like you said, I didn't even know that place existed. I felt like when they opened the doors to let me in and I was all scrubbed up and sanitized, I thought like I was entering like a TV show. Like I didn't know that this was real. Life. <laughs> yeah. I, tell, different. I tell people the NICU, you don't know it's there until you need it. And you're so grateful that it's there, but it's like a foreign land. You, you dress differently. You learn new language, you know, a new way of speaking, um, all medical jargon ng tubes and see the cpap machine and the you know and hearing like the alarms go off it's a whole new world and um you have to give yourself time to adapt and um and then by the time you leave if you're long-termers like we were considered um then you're almost sad because you leave this new place where they've become like our family and I still talk to every single one of AJ's nurses. Um, I became friends with a lot of moms during our stay at the NICU. My husband called me the mayor of the NICU because I went around and met everyone. And I'm like, well, if we're all going to be hanging out here, we might as well get to know each other. And um, we actually, um, at the NICU we were in, at, in San Luis Obispo, we lived in an RV in the parking lot because we didn't have other kids at home at the time. And I just, I was, I couldn't enter back into my normal life until AJ could come with me. And so I definitely, um, that was my way of coping is I was all NICU all the time and just didn't want to leave. Yeah. So when you delivered AJ, I'm sure that they, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure I'm assuming because so when I delivered so early and I didn't deliver as early as you, but when I delivered early, they, the doctors prepped me, you know, he's going to go straight to the NICU. What was that like for you? Because for me, I don't think I even wrapped my head around it until I stepped into the NICU, which I didn't get to really because, you know, you deliver and then you have to wait a little while. So what yeah. was what was that like for you as you're delivering and thinking, I have to prepare myself now to start a whole different journey? Because we always think, you know, we've got that ideal thing. We deliver, we hold our baby, we experience that time. Yeah, I think I that dream, I think, was already out the window at my 20-week okay. stand of just, you know, thinking he wouldn't maybe even survive till birth, you know, so I'd be, um, you know, we were preparing to deliver um, possibly a baby who wasn't alive or a baby with special needs, and so they, we kind of knew at that point that our, he would need special care. We just didn't know what, you know, they had even talked about seeing him, um, depending on how sick he was when he was born, a different um, hospital. But when, when I was actually having him, honestly, my first thought was relief because I just wanted to see him. I just needed to know he was okay. And when he was born, the first thing he did was cry. And I'm like, he's alive. You know, that I, it was the sound of life. And we, 
um, we're so excited. And yeah, I didn't see him. I didn't see him at all when he first came out. And uh, my husband went over to the um, little bed where they were working on him. And he was snapping pictures and running back and forth and showing me him. And I remember thinking that he was the most perfect baby I'd ever seen because he was my baby and he was here and he was alive. And I still wasn't sure, you know, at that point, we weren't sure what was wrong, if anything was wrong, but we were just rejoicing that he was alive and and they whisked him away. And um, it, it honestly wasn't until months later when we were home and settled that I realized, wow, I really didn't see him until I delivered him at 12.55. And I didn't see him until, I mean, it was dark out. So it was nighttime, probably seven that night because I had to have some procedures done afterwards. And at the time, I think it was just God's grace, just surrounding me and protecting me from realizing this how unnatural it was not to be with your baby and to um and I was weirdly okay with it at the time because it's what we had to do um but then I did go through a mourning period of not having those first hours to connect um and to see him and um the first time I ever saw him, he was in his little isolate and he had so many, he was so small and had so many things on him that then I couldn't, that's when the fear set in of like, oh, this is a very small, fragile baby in the situation and um, not being able to hold him. Then that's really when it, it set in that, how scary it was. What was that like for you? Now, now you're there all the time. Did Andrew have to go back to work at any point? So Andrew at the time was working at our church and they were very gracious and letting him have time off. Um, but we had, he had already taken a week, a week or so off. Cause I was after my water broke up until I had him, I was just, they wouldn't even let me get out of bed in the hospital. So he was there with me all the time. And so we luckily, because we worked in a ministry position, we didn't have to deal with the hardships of if he worked, you know, a more like corporate job or if he was self-employed, you know, that it, I know takes a huge toll on people. Um, our church was very generous. Um, someone set up a GoFundMe page. And so that part I can't really speak to. I mean, he did have to go back to work, but it was very flexible. So it was my very first time going into the NICU. Andrew had already been in there. Um, our parents had gone in, which I had okayed. You know, everybody's different. You have to figure out what works for you. But I, I wanted the grandparents to see him. And um, and so I was scrubbing up because they make you wash your hands before you go in, which is, um, as a mom wanting to get to your baby and being separated by scrubbing in phone call and a door it just feels like you're gonna go crazy and so I scrubbed up and then I called the number to be let in and the, a nurse came out and she said okay mom let's go and I'm just standing there she said, okay mom let's go and it took me a good two minutes to realize she was calling me mom <laughs> I was a mom and it just I I I love that story, you know, and it, I just couldn't believe I, I was finally a mom. And um, even though I, I'm, I want to remind women that even if you've been pregnant and you've lost your baby before you've gotten to meet them, I'm, you're a mom, you know, you have a mother's heart and a mother's love, but just to tangibly finally see and hold my baby, it was very emotional and something that I'll never forget and then figuring out just pumping I had never seen a breast pump before especially a hospital one and um those ones are gnarly <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm thankful for them because I did go on to successfully um nurse AJ for a long time um but yeah it, um, Nikki life and motherhood is um it's a tricky road to navigate. I will say again, we were lucky to be surrounded by nurses who taught me how to advocate for our family and for what I thought was best for AJ. I did a lot of reading 
Um, I actually reached out before we did this interview, I reached out to all my NICU mom friends and our nurses. And it's funny, a lot of my nurses that I had at the time, they go on to have baby, they've had babies and their babies were in the NICU too. Um, so I, they kind of sent me here. I have like a list of things that they really helped them and it helped me as well. And one of the biggest things is not, um, not being afraid to advocate for yourself. You know, I remember it's a very medical setting. It's very, you know, science driven. And a lot of that bonding can sometimes be forgotten about and not, um, and it's not the nurses or the doctor's fault. They just are taking care of so many patients. Your baby's a patient, you know, and they have charts and they need to meet certain requirements. And, um, and so just really speaking up for that bonding of like the skin to skin, um, wanting to try breastfeeding instead of doing like a NG tube feed or a bottle feed, you know, and just, they want everything measured out. And sometimes you're like, no, trust me, you know, I'm the mom and I, I want to try nursing my baby for this feed. I remember being really afraid to speak up for that. But when I did and I saw how well, um, well received it was, I just remember wanting to encourage other NICU moms to really speak up. And then I thought it was really important um, as AJ's mom to be at all of the rounds. They do rounds every day or every couple days with the doctor and all the nurses and caseworkers, and they just talk about patient whatever number, and it's your child, and they're talking about all the care they're receiving, and um, that's your time to really get the full scoop on what's going on and to ask questions. And so that's, I always kept a journal by his bed or with me or on your phone, wherever. And just anytime a question pops up, write it down. And so that way you are ready to ask any questions you have. Um, and then just remembering that you're still human and you have to rest and eat. And especially as a new mom, it's really hard. It's, um, I think that's a big one that I'd advocate for that you it's still you're still a new mom you still need to rest when the baby rests which seems impossible because you have to pump so much and you're at the hospital and you have way more driving to do than other new moms um so yeah that's those are some top things now let me ask you if you don't mind so for me I had a point where I vividly remember trying to change a diaper, um, probably for one of the first times of his, but he was little and he wasn't even as little as AJ and fumbling with it, right? Because I was nervous and it was like the first time and there were so many cords um, and it wasn't, yeah, I mean, I had worked with preschoolers and things before, but I was literally trying to pick up cords and shove a diaper in and you, you know, it, it's hard. Yeah. And a nurse came by and she was just trying to help, but she was like, here, let me, let me do it for you. And I, I remember breaking down, like sobbing, like I could not take another second and telling Joey later that night, like, I just don't feel like I'm his mom. Like I'm here, but they're loving him and they're taking care of him and they know what to do. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I just feel like they, they're doing such a better job. How was that did you experience that at all? Or was that part of you just felt confident because you were advocating? Like, how was that for you? Um, no, I clearly remember times of just um, feeling exactly what you felt of just, you know, I didn't know how to change because AJ at his lowest weight, he was two pounds. And um, I didn't know how to even um, change a two pound baby's diaper and for being sad that I wasn't allowed to pick him up I had to place him on me and I I it was devastating you know and I would try to in those times feel the sadness and know that it was okay to be sad and frustrated because this isn't how it's supposed to be you know this isn't where babies are supposed to go when they're born they're supposed to be with their moms you know but then trying to turn it into um, gratefulness, grateful that we had a place where, you know, if I had had AJ, you know, even 50 years ago, he wouldn't live and trying to be grateful for these nurses. And that's where the advocating, like I, Andrew and I decided, and it's very much, um, depends on, you know, what you and your husband want, 
but we didn't want anyone holding him other than the nurses. It's a lot of NICUs offer, they call them like snugglers or cuddlers or, and I actually, we made a sign that put and put it on his isolate that said no cuddlers. And some people thought, you know, we got comments from nurses that, why wouldn't you want your baby cuddled? And I'm like, if my baby is going to be cuddled, I want it to be me, you know, but there were situations where there are families with four kids and this is the youngest kid and they can't get, they couldn't live in the hospital parking lot with their three older kids. And so of course their baby needs to be held by a cuddler who the cuddlers are wonderful. It's not like, it was just my way of asserting that I was the mom, you know, of just, you have to find those things that you really want to stick up for and, um, and not feeling afraid to even, you know, if you get a weird comment or a weird look for your no cuddler sign. Um, the one time that I, I kind of lost, and I don't have a temper, but I, my emotions were tried at that time. And I did kind of lose, I felt so bad on a nurse afterwards because I, I went to lunch and I came back and a cuddler was holding Weston. Yeah. And I, I mean, rocking in the chair. And, I'm, and I just remember, I was like, just, I was mad. I, I wasn't even like sad in that moment. I was just mad because I felt like my time was so little. I felt like that I got to hold him and cuddle him that that it did I remember thinking that and then having I remember telling someone later like the cuddler was there and they're like what's a cuddler <laughs> I know it, it goes back to the learning the whole new language other people outside and you know I I would get those feelings of anger too if I you know if I had told them for the three o'clock feed I'm going to try nursing and you have this like this panic inside of you like you have to get there and you have to scrub in and you have to call and the nurse has to open the door and you have to get the chair that you want next to your isolate that you're comfortable nursing in and if you're and there was this one time that I was running a little late and um you know they started to feed him a bottle which you know I try to remind myself and it's easier for me to say it now because I'm on the other side of it um it they're pay, you know your baby's a patient and it, they have charts that they need to fill and these nurses are taking care of you know sometimes they have three babies to one nurse and so they need to get your baby fed so they can move on to the next baby who you know AJ was never never critical he was never he, it's it's a it was a surprise that he was never critical at his size and at the gestation he was born but he never was. And so they had to, you know, they had other critical babies that needed more care. And so they just needed to get him fed, change his diaper, get him down. And, you know, and so, yeah, there were those feelings of like, I told you I was going to nurse him and you'd get, I would feel very angry. And, um, and I think it's always okay to have those feelings and um, just know, try to remind yourself that, they're doing it's their job and your baby's a patient and um and they were fantastic they they really are that was yeah. always my like I said my emotional roller coaster just because of what I was going through not anything on them they were all fantastic I remember them telling me call me because I didn't stay there I came home call me at any time you can call me at three o'clock in the morning when you wake up and tell I remember the first time doing it being so nervous though and they were fantastic they told me yeah. everything it was great and I can't I can't talk enough good things about them, but I just remember it feeling like I, well, and when we took Weston home, I was terrified. I, I felt like I'd waited so long for that day, but when it came, I was like, oh, he passed the car seat test. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, now what? Don't send me home with him. Cause I don't have a machine telling me if he's breathing right or not, you know? And I didn't see months I felt like, because, I would have to check and put my hand on his chest. (laughs) I still check. Is AJ breathing? (laughs) I think it's just that part of that journey that will always be with you. And um, like I said, at times it still makes me sad. And then other times I'm so grateful for the community that the community that it has given me, um, given our family and has given us um, a platform, you know, to share God's goodness after everything, you know, all that God has carried us through, our family through, and um, just this blessing that AJ is, and um, I know Eli. So let me ask you then on that, now 
you try it again and have this crazy experience, life-saving surgery done, and then you guys try it again. <laughs> where, where were your guys' heads at in this? I mean, I know faith-wise, that must have taken a lot of faith more than anything else. Probably. Yes, and um, our personalities, mine and Andrew's personalities are very different. Andrew grew up in a Christian home. Um, has a very strong foundation, um, generations of believers in his family. And um, he doesn't struggle with fear as much as I do. Um, I'm a first generation believer in my, on my side. And um, uh, if I, if I let it, fear would run my life, would, would be what makes all my decisions. And we, it's funny, we never, like, stopped, we never thought about not trying again. Like, that was never an option. Um, we thought for a brief moment that the ectopic rupturing would put an end to it, because we thought maybe I would lose my, you know, I'd end up with a hysterectomy. Um, but my wonderful doctor um, saved as much as he could, enough for me to be pregnant again, and um, the first thing that he told me when I woke up was, you can try again, because he knew how important it was to me. Um, and I always felt like I needed a period of grieving for the baby that we lost. Um, and um, when we tried again, I definitely had feelings of fear in the beginning, especially when we first got pregnant with Eli of bef before they can confirm, you know, that it was in my uterus and um, I thought it was going to be ectopic again. And I only had one tube left and it was going to be, you know, the end of trying again. And of course all of that were real possibilities, but I always try to remind myself that um, it's, we have AJ, you know, we look at all, all of the things the doctor said and, um, so anyways, I think Andrew and I, as a couple, have just tried to make a very conscious decision of not letting fear run our lives, um, to not put limits on a limitless God. We, we really believe that we know that, um, God, wh whether, how do I say this, you know, whether we have more miscarriages or whether we have, you know, more children born, you know, God is good and we never want to put limits on that. And again, I, every family is different. I do believe that, um, there are families, you know, they can only take, they, you can only take so much loss too, you know, and, but just for us, we, we just really felt God you know, really pushing us to keep trying, you know, to keep trying that there, he was, had more kids for our family. And, and he did. He did. Yeah. And, you know, when we meet Eli, um, and it's just going to be wonderful to see the fulfillment of that promise, you know, and, um, the fruit of taking those steps of faith and trying again. I don't know. I just want to say like me, I have two kids and I definitely took my pregnancy for granted because this topic isn't talked about all the time. I was a really young mom, so I had no idea about pregnancy, let alone the possible loss and like all the possible outcomes that could happen just in the pregnancy. And I carried both my babies full term and like, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was a struggle just like having the baby and like being in the hospital and going after three days, you know, and it is a struggle, but it's like compared to the possibilities and what other women have gone through, it's like, it's the best possible outcome. And like, I was just always, I just always thought that's how it is, you know, like my yeah. mom had a miscarriage, um, I know there was times she got pregnant with my oldest brother, Ryan, and then I think she had, like, three miscarriages in a row, and they, they, I don't think they were more than eight or ten weeks along each time, but
but they tried for four years or for three years until I got pregnant again. And my mom never talked to me about it. I, I found out like a few years ago, oh yeah, I, I had trouble getting pregnant after Ryan. And like, that was it. And I'm just thinking like the loss that people have felt, even if they do have children, like you, like you said, unless you go through it, you'll never know. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was going through it, I always thought um, they should have like a separate room at doctor's offices for, you know, women who are miscarrying because I remember going into OB's offices and, you know, I'm there to confirm a miscarriage and I'm sitting next to someone who's 36 weeks pregnant, you know, and and it was so hard. I would look at people at pregnant women at the time and I would have, I was full of so much bitterness and, um, I spent a lot of time fighting that bitterness, um, feeling, um, feeling like shameful that I was feeling this bitterness. Um, then I spent a long time giving into it and feeling like my bitterness was earned that I had every right to feel what I was feeling because of what I was going through. And I just want to encourage women who are in that space of, either trying and not conceiving at all or trying and conceiving and losing babies. Um, um, both spaces, both the, you know, trying to fight it and trying to act happy and go to the baby showers and, you know, it, that's fine. Or giving into the bitterness and, you know, feeling that just that raging anger of why, why is it every, why is it happening for everybody else and not me? Um, I think that those, as long as you walk through those steps and you don't turn your life completely away from the Lord, that is, I, I am a testimony that, that, that is the Lord's refinement time. You know, we, we read about that. We hear about it of just, it's, literally described as a fire burning away dross to to you know refine you into gold and it burns it hurts and um I just remember those feelings so well and you know I still walk through I think that a lot of that initial anger and and bitterness is gone um now um because of the Lord but um I just you don't have to pretend it's not there. You don't have to, but also don't give into it so completely that um, you just turn away from your faith. You know, I think it's all part of that refinement period. And just, and my hardest part was letting people help me. I, uh, partially because I felt ashamed. Um, and then partially because I just thought, you have no idea what I'm going through, you know, and a lot of people didn't, and um, they didn't know what to say, and they said the wrong thing, probably more than saying the right thing, but um, it just allowed, it allowed more fruitful relationships to grow when you let people into that very vulnerable space, and I'm just so grateful. I can honestly say that I'm grateful for those times in our life because of the fruit that it's, that it's had in our life now, you know, and I, I, who knows, I, I, if that hadn't have happened, I might've still been naive or, you know, immature in my faith. And, um, so we, we are, we're really grateful for those times and what would but not that I want to go back to the NICU <laughs> with Eli. <laughs> what would you say to someone, like when you said they often said the wrong thing. What would you say to someone who wants to be a good friend in those times, but has no idea, hasn't been there, doesn't understand, but wants to be that friend for you? What is something that they can do or say, or what's what, or what's the wrong thing to say? Like what? what yeah. Well, I can definitely say don't ask someone if um, they're eating gluten because they think gluten causes <laughs> miscarriages. <laughs> Um, no, in all seriousness, someone did ask me that, but, um, if you want to be helpful uh, as a, you know, as a, if you're the friend and your close friend is walking through, say, you know, having a micro preemie or, you know, multiple losses, um, 
really hear, try and really hear your friend where they're at in that space. Um, what I've learned is everyone grieves differently. Everyone processes differently. Like um, Andrew and I needed a lot of privacy. We didn't let anyone into the NICU that wasn't family, immediate family. We didn't let friends see him until he was discharged, until AJ was discharged. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I just couldn't combine my two worlds. I needed, I was just all consumed by the NICU. I remember, you know, people wanting to drop off meals, which is a wonderful, friendly thing, but it's not what I needed. And um, I didn't even want to take the time to go down to the lobby to meet someone to grab food because I would have had to talk to them and that took energy. And so in that space, you know, gift cards are what we needed. We wanted, you know, we needed gift cards for gas, for driving back and forth, um, for when we weren't at the RV and, um, gift cards for restaurants within, um, walking distance of the hospital. So that's where our needs were, um, we liked it when people sent cards because we could read them at our own time and we didn't need to respond. It wasn't a text that sat there, you know, when you have text sitting there unopened and it's just giving you that pressure that you have to respond. And um, so just really trying to hear where your friend is in that space. And even if it's not how you would grieve or how you would process, trying to remember that it's not about you it's about you know where your friend is in this really trying time and to remember that um it's a short time you know or if it's a nick you know if it's the NICU it's I mean not for everyone not everyone um it's not a short time for everyone but you know what I mean it's just it's a it's a stage where eventually god willing they'll bring their baby home and your friendship can resume where it was and um or if it's for loss, you know, after they're, they work through their grief. And um, it's just about meeting people where they are and just really hearing their needs um, and not trying to like, well, this is what I would want. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I loved, I loved hearing you say earlier, you said this at the very beginning, but it just stuck out to me when you said they believed for you when you couldn't believe. Yeah. And I just think that's amazing because I think like you said it's hard to ask for help and it's also hard to admit like I'm struggling right now in my faith I'm not understanding why this is happening and so to let other people hold you up in that way um and probably as the friend to also realize that you know the way that they do that almost has to be like you were just saying careful just sitting with them in it and not not trying to say I'm doing this you know I'm going to believe it whether you do or not but but being there in it with them. And I just think that's a beautiful part of your story to hear now. Yeah, it's um, the, the friends and relationships we made from people willing to step into that dark space and meet us there. You know, it's really easy to meet someone in a nice, sunny, happy place of their life, but to really step into this darkness where I was questioning everything, um, those people we will forever have a very special bond with, you know, because they, it was such a self-sacrificing love that, you know, Jesus would always be the one to touch the people who were untouchable or, you know, and I felt very untouchable, very unlovable. I was um, angry and mean and um, the people who had come, who came near me at that time, it was just, it was an amazing picture of Jesus that I needed to see. And, and those are the people who you really bond with and make those lifelong connections with. Beautiful. We usually finish with what advice you would give to people who are in a situation like you were in, so either who are experiencing loss or really need you. I know you did an amazing job of giving us the list earlier, so I don't know if there's yeah. anything else you want to add to that. So for losses, you know, just giving yourself the space to grieve and really, um, really trying to understand. I, it's a very unique situation to grieve something that is not tangible. You know, you didn't, when you have a miscarriage, you don't have, there's just nothing tangible, you know, so 
I would always get what I have started doing for friends that have miscarried. Um, and I, it's been really helpful is I will get them a necklace with the birthstone of the month that their baby should have been born, had it been born full term. Um, and so it's something tangible. It's something that they can see, they can look at, you know, and so doing something like that. And I give them a journal along with it. And, um, so they can journal their thoughts um, while they grieve. Um, and not being afraid to, when you're having miscarriages, to seek a second opinion. You know, not to, if the, oh, just keep trying. If that's not enough for you, it's not enough for you. And you can go, there's doctors out there who can help you. Um, and then as far as the NICU, yeah, just the, I think the really thinking of it as a foreign land, a foreign place is really helped me because it's a whole new life. It's a whole new world that you have to get used to. And, um, just being an advocate for yourself and, um, just learning what you need in that space too, you know, and even if something that worked for someone really well, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. You know, it's just really figuring out what your family needs in that time. And, and advocating for yourself and for your baby and you know just and if you don't know Jesus you definitely you need to get to know him um, regardless if you're going through these situations but definitely through these situations because um, without him and without the light um, that he is it's a very dark place and it's very easy to spiral down in, into complete darkness and anger and sadness. So, yeah. Now, do you mind if there's anyone listening that has struggled with this or that is, if they reach out to you? No, I would encourage people. I, like I said, I love to share. Um, I would love to get together with you. I would love to recommend doctors, you know, or share more about, um, you know, more in depth of what we've done. Cause we've, um, yeah, we've seen some specialists and yeah, how can they, um, where can they find you like on social media or anything like that? If they're looking to find you that way first. So you can find, um, I think Instagram would be the easiest one. It's just my first name page and my last name, Riddell, R E D E L. And, um, you can just send me a direct message. Um, and then we can go from there. You know, if you live locally, like I said, I'd be happy to meet with you and and just help you advocate for yourself. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time to talk with us tonight and sharing so much of your story. Um, we are so excited for you with Eli coming. I can't wait to, I, I follow her, so I can't wait to see <laughs> comes and, and how that goes and all of that. And um, if you do follow her, AJ is the cutest thing ever. I love watching his little drumming videos and you would just, I mean, you would never know that he was creamy seen. Yeah. He does. So thank you so much. We are really grateful for your words of wisdom and for the advice that you have since you've been through it all and for letting people reach out to you. We're grateful that you came on today. Well, thank you for um, what you girls are doing too, because this really helps open up that communication about tough subjects and just sharing God's goodness. So thank you.